hello. Anyone there? Yeah. Hi. Also, good morning. Well, good good afternoon for me, but good morning to you. <laughs> oh, right, right. <laughs> Thanks Hi. so much for doing this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. It's such an interesting thing, right, that we have this technology at our fingertips and we get to reach out to strangers and try to have an interesting conversation with somebody that we've never met before. Uh, but we kind of have to start at the ground level of things. And that's always very fascinating, but also kind of terrifying for me. Uh, sure. <laughs> but but you know what it's like? it, I think of it like you're on a plane. I mean, because what do you do when you're on the plane, right? You're sitting next to a total stranger and they, they'll tell you anything. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. So in some respects, it's actually setting you up for like greater success. That's true because there's there's less inhibition or you're you're more uninhibited, yeah, to to just explore, right? Uh, because you know, hey, this might be a temporary thing, but at least we'll be going about our day and <laughs> you know, doing that sort of thing. So uh let me just ask you a couple of things to start with because I'm I'm very curious about um how you came to poetry in particular and and all of these awesome insights that you're gonna be sharing with us, but when you first started out having like an, an inclination to be a poet, how did that come about for you? What, were you younger or was that later in life? So it's sort of like a combination of different things. Um, I learned how to read when I was very young. So I've always had my nose in the books. I've always been that nerdy type. Um, and then I was in, I, there was a little program when I was in elementary school where you made your own books and stuff. And these were oh, very, nice. I mean, very, very like base. I mean, this, these stories are ridiculous. I mean, they're hilarious, <laughs> but you, you, you wrote, you illustrated, you were, you did it all. Oh, you the were best. Your own indie press. It was amazing. <laughs> um, and so that's always sort of been like a part of my childhood, I guess. But then when I got to, well, I, then, so it must have been seventh grade-ish around. So I had just, I was like a tween. And my grandmother on my paternal side had just passed. And mm. she was just incredibly dear to me um, as, as her own person. But also, I, I came to realize later down the line that there was like a lot of symbolic sort of significance around her being in my life. Mm. And when she was gone, it was like devastating. And so the very first poem I actually wrote was about that. Oh, I see. And um, so this was in seventh grade. My teacher was Mrs. Moss, which I mean, talk about like the perfect name um, <laughs> for that situation. Yeah. And I don't know why or how this happened, but I wasn't the only person that she did this with, but there was like a something in the gymnasium i remember some kind of event and the parents were there and she had me and a couple other people go up and read our poems right mm -hmm. and of course mine was dark and and doom and because that's just my <laughs> essence um on the no, inside, i get you i get you <laughs> my soul is dark i laugh a lot on the outside but my soul is dark and burning. um so that was sort of like my first i mean if if you really want to if you really want to go back to the root, that would have been my first like poetry experience of my own oh, writing. Great. So then I, I I go to high school and you know you're you're reading all the, the you know the traditional canon of nonsense mostly, but um, <laughs> you know there are some nuggets in there. And I had some teachers that actually tried to expose me to things besides like white dudes. So yeah, that was yeah. cool. <laughs> um, and then I went to uh, college and. 
um, you know, I, I, I kind of knew that I wanted to, to go in that direction, but I actually started out in fiction. Okay. And um, I found myself telling stories and that like had more or less happened in real life and maybe taking them in a different direction, mm. but they were almost always based on something that did happen or people that I did know in real life. Okay. And that's when I kind of realized that, you know, I, I kind of wasn't so much interested in telling stories that weren't real. It was more <laughs> that I wanted to tell the truth okay. and maybe, um, you know, tell stuff that, you know, I mean, and it's funny because I, I, I then later, I guess, came to realize that um, in my poetry, I brought back a lot of elements of, of fiction from the perspective of I am not telling necessarily the story of things that happened to me, like this is the event and this is the day. Mm. It's more I'm telling a story in a poem or a series of poems, um, and I want what's being communicated to be the truth of the experience emotionally. Yeah. yeah so it's, to, yeah, yeah, no, I, I was just going to mention it. It kind of reminds me of uh, uh, you, you feel like perhaps some of the details of true life take away from the actual message almost. And right. we have to kind of strip that away a little bit to get to the core of it. That's, that's pretty yeah. fascinating. And uh, as I guess the poet that you are, it strikes me how you, and, you know, just, just kind of browsing from your website and I, I hope to get to know more about, you know, the specifics of that, but, um, you strike me as somebody who has always been very studious or has always been able to, uh, to learn with ease. Is that, is that kind of a, a good assumption? Um, I mean, I, I guess it's interesting. Learn with ease. That's, that's kind <laughs> of, no, it's an interesting concept. I've always had my, my head in the books. I mean, okay. whether it, for, for pleasure or for academics. Mm -hmm. um, and I think when you do that, I don't know if it makes learning easier. You just do it a lot. Uh -huh. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, okay. Example. Um, so I'm sitting and this is not going to help my cause. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sitting in my AP, AP calculus class in high school. Yeah. Um, and there was this guy who sat in front of me. Uh, his name was Matt. And Matt could sit there in calculus class and not take a single note. Mm. I mean, the, like we all hated, him. I mean, we loved him, <laughs> but we hated this sure, about sure. him. Like, you know, so it was like, we loved you, but we hate you too. And, mm -hmm. um, but he could just sit there. He would take not a single note. And we had a, a professor or a teacher, I should say, cause this was still high school. So, uh, mm. Mr. Sabaya was, um, the kind of person where you actually didn't have to do the homework. Mm. If you did well on well as well as you wanted to do on the test, right? But if you didn't get the grade that you wanted on the test, you had to turn in all of the homework for that oh. sort of like module or whatever in order to be able to either take the test again, raise your grade, what have you, right? Well, Matt, <laughs> I don't think had to do any of the homework to oh, ever man. improve any of his test scores because he just sat there and it was like, I don't know if it was like, you know, uh, I think he was just one of these like prodigy types. Sure, sure. To, 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 I mean, he yeah. did not do 
anything. Right, right. Was he learning? Did it just happen in his head? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. To this day, I don't know. Could All I a, know yeah. is I had to do my homework. I had to, I had to work to learn. Yeah. So I so I did learn. I don't know that learning was always easy. All mm. I know is that I was always engaged in yeah, learning. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, like like up to the challenge, right? To to just yeah. take it on and do it. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's fascinating because um, you know there are sort of like more academic fish, you know, like bigger academic fish, you know, out there, out there on the sea. But I think that, um, I've always been fascinated by folks who, who have the the degree of focus that, that I think just from first glance, you know, say checking out the resume, checking out all of these wonderful things that you've done, you're able to just kind of get things done. And that's just a, an incredibly inspiring and fascinating thing to me. So I, I kind of want to ask you before I go back to this curious thing that you said about, uh, <laughs> the, uh, canon of nonsense in high school we'll have to talk about that too because i i really i really want to dig into that phrase a little bit more but um do you feel that you have been able to balance things pretty equally like in terms of your your passions outside of your your day job or your your like nine to five or or is that something that that you think is always kind of going hand in hand so I could talk for like decades about this subject. And I think that there are a lot of misconceptions that people have about it. Mm. Um, and, and to your point about focus, I think that you have to, self-awareness is really, really important just in life. It's mm. not just with respect to the arts or with respect to your profession, but you really have to know who you are from the perspective of, you know, your proclivities, Mm -hmm. good and bad. Yeah. Because you don't have a concept of where your weaknesses are, where your strengths are. um, You're really gonna, I think, founder a lot. And um, so example, I, I sort of knew that I could do professional writing and it wouldn't be a thing that, sucks the joy of Mm. creative writing from me because Mm. to me they are night and day so professional writing professional editing for me it deals with the exterior so when i think of professional writing right you're writing about the outside world you're you're Mm -hmm. usually you know writing about a business or to educate or 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 what have you Uh, but there's some business marketing purpose generally speaking or you know uh informational journalistic but but you're you're talking about things that are happening in the outside world okay mm-hmm. this town got bombed this person got murdered what have you this person made this discovery so that it's not all doom and gloom um <laughs> my creative writing is to explore the interiorities so mm-hmm. to me it's night and day 180 mm-hmm. i can do both sure. and i i have and do do both Um, but for me, what I needed to kind of come to realize about myself and, and, and I did not know about myself, which is why I say it's very important that one knows oneself and you will continue to learn about yourself, um, is I needed to have the kind of job that I could really leave there. Yeah. Yeah. And. So 
in my own personal journey, you know, I'm, I'm going along and I, I work my way up into this directorship uh, position, director of communications um, for research and economic development at UNLV. Mm. And, you know, that's, that's what you're like supposed to do, right? Sure. You know, you're supposed to <laughs> climb the ladder and blah, blah, blah. And, <laughs> and you know, yeah, I made good money. Um, I was running my own show. And when, I mean, I was not only running my own show, but also doing the entire production for the most part, with mm-hmm. the exception of maybe one or two part-time helping hands, which was not nearly enough, but that, hence, why you need to know about yourself. Like some people can do those types of jobs and maybe still have the energy um, to do their own creative work in their spare time. Mm-hmm. I am not that person. Like I was not that person. Sure. I am not that person. And I know that about myself now. Mm-hmm. So I found that in certain jobs, when there is a, when I cannot leave it at work, and often that is not just the actual work itself, as much as it is the people and their mm. ick and the oh, yeah. politics. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, just, it's, it's like you just, <laughs> it's would take 20 showers and it's still not off you kind of situation. Sure. Um, I don't find that I have any emotional or mental resources left after mm. being in those toxic environments for, sure. for my own uh, creative ventures. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I had some important choices to make. And in part of my part of my self-discovery about this, finding this balance, um, you know, I thought back to, you know, I, I, I'm at UNLV and I'm miserable. And I know mm. that. And I know that I need, it's not the job, it's not the work, it's mm-hmm. the people. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the people, it's the politics, it's the system. These right. academic systems are completely dysfunctional. They're completely broken. It's disgusting. Mm-hmm. I, another thing I could talk for decades about. <laughs> Very but, curious about um, that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I thought back to, okay, like, what's like a job where like, I just felt like, like I just had this energy mm. for my for my stuff, right? And I thought back to when I worked at the Caption Center. Um, so this was in Burbank. This was in um, a suburb of LA. And, uh, you know, it was a job where I went in and I literally got paid to watch TV <laughs> and put in the captions, oh, right? No way. Oh, it was awesome. I saw movies before they came out in the theater because oh, we nice. were- What'd you see? Um, oh God, this was so many years ago. Uh, I mean, it was that, like, I want to say like King Kong. I remember like, that's how, that's how long ago this was, but (laughs) well, so right. But try to caption, you won't necessarily know this until I tell you, and then maybe you go back and think about it. Mm. Try to caption a movie that is just like a monkey and Naomi Watts looking at each other for like (laughs) these extended periods of time where there's no guy. How do you say stares intensely? Yeah, for uh, yeah, three right. thirty it's times like, over. Um, you know, jungle <laughs> animal noises, crickets, insect buzzing. Like, for, because you have to have a caption, or else the the hard of hearing audience doesn't realize sure. captioning has not dropped out. Yeah. So, yeah. so there's a rule, or there was a rule at the time that every thirty seconds you needed to have something on that screen so that. So that the audience knew, okay, I didn't lose the caption. The, the tech didn't cut out. It's just these these 
freaking characters are just staring at each other like morons. So, oh man. So, you know, that that's kind of uh just just to kind of dry, digress slightly, that's a wonderful exercise to kind of try just in 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 daily uh writing experience. Like take a look at a show or something that you might find dull or boring that maybe doesn't have a lot of dialogue and, and just try to break it down in in different variations. I mean that I'm just kind of going to steal that. So I kind of made a note for myself here because, uh, I mean, I I bet that, yeah, I I bet that you took a lot from that, you know, as a, as a, just an exercise, right? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and, uh, I kind of, Oh, go ahead. So, So, yeah. So the original question, getting back to the original question of, okay, so, so I'm doing the self exploration. I think back to this job, this job was great. And that was actually, I I worked at, while I was in that job, I got my portfolio ready. And that's when I applied and got into grad school for the Mm -hmm. second time, but that's the time I actually went. Mm So, um, which is a very brief, but other story. So I'm not going to go there. Um, Anyway, So I'm like, okay, so what were like the elements of that job? The elements of that job were, I went in, I did the work while I was there. People were cool. We we mostly kept to ourselves because that's the nature of the job, right? You have to, you have, you're cranking stuff out mm-hmm. and you have, I mean, you don't have like a quota to meet per se. Certainly some captioners are faster than others, but you you go in, you do these chunks of shows and movies, and then you leave it there. You you ha- have handoffs for the next shift or whatever. They pick up and, and it's just that kind of like almost like an assembly line type of, mm-hmm. of job, right? Mm-hmm. But it didn't drain me. Yeah. You know, I, I I had my energy. There weren't so much so much politics or bad people or what have you. Mm-hmm. And and I so I had this energy. And so I was like, all right, so now I have a template. I have a template for if I'm gonna be in the working world, and for the time being, I plan on being in the working world. Mm-hmm. Um I gotta find a job that's like that. Wonderful. And so that's exactly what I did. Yeah. So I'm now a copy editor. Um, it is that same type of work where you're just, you're working stories, you know, you have handoffs at the end of the night for the next people or people still on shift or the shift the next day. And I go in, I do that and I leave and you know, there's really no drama. There's no, you know, there are politics, but it doesn't really affect me Mm -hmm. because I am a grunt. And let me tell you. Being a grunt can be very underrated. Now, yeah, are I you going to get big bucks? No, you're not. But are you going to, if if you can afford to, and I can, I've created a life for myself, and this is the other aspect of it. Um, you have to think about really, like, realistically, there are only 24 hours in a day. And unless you have the resources to be hiring people to take care of your kids or run these errands or what have you, um, you have to really think about how you're going to break that down if you're going to be a creative person Absolutely. and balance work. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people think about that. So I never wanted to, so I don't have kids. But I can tell you, because I don't have kids, I don't have a lot of challenges that that working parents who are also right. creatives have. Yeah. And no, that, no, I mean, that, that's a very good point, because in terms of addressing the the fuller picture of this whole situation and making things work with the time that we have, uh, I wish there was a, a constant checklist or inventory of of decision making for for some of us working creatives, because it, you know, just kind of agreeing with what you were saying, it took me a very long time to decide where I belonged. And mm-hmm. I do agree with you that it seems like 
being in a toxic environment at work, no matter what kind of work it is, if it's the easiest job in the world, you will just get drained to such a degree that you won't be able to set out to achieve or you won't be able to achieve what you want to do. And um, I wish that more people had the wherewithal to ask those questions. So how, how could we do that, you know, by, by sharing an inventory or a checklist online of things that people could ask themselves? It's like, you can be free. You just got to make the choices. You just got to yeah. ask the right choices uh, for yourself. But getting back to this canon of nonsense, uh, <laughs> I really love that phrase because, you know, as a Mexican kid growing up in Wyoming, you know, there, in terms of representation and things of that nature, there, there was, yeah, yeah. There, um, my representation was, uh, the three amigos and Univision. So, uh, <laughs> I had to learn later in life that, uh, there's, there's more to, um, there's more perspectives out there. So, uh, what do you mean when you're, when you're talking about canon of nonsense? Yeah. So it's basically, it's just those books that they, they being they, the man, sure. the system, the, yeah. the, the, edu- the, you know, the educational, uh, you know, dysfunction <laughs> of, you know, America, even mm-hmm. up till today. Although I think in some ways it is improving. Like I said, I did have some teachers who were like, yeah, you're not just like, I mean, they never said this, but basically you knew in the, like, in retrospect, like they sat down and they were like, yeah, we're not just going to read a bunch of white guys. (laughs) Number one, they weren't white guys, which is amazing. I mean, in and of itself, like I had, um, you know, women teachers, people of color teachers. I mean, I'm not saying I had a ton, but this was, so this was in Arizona. I'm thinking of high Mm -hmm. school in Arizona. Sure. Yeah. I'm in Tucson. So I'm right on the border, right by Nogales. Right. Right. So, um, you know, it was not everybody was white. Like, I mean, they, we were still the, the majority, mm-hmm. at least in my high school, but you know, you had the exposure. White people, right. Yeah. And, and we weren't just reading white people. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was still a lot of the, the canon of nonsense, you know? So like tale of two cities, you know, um, <laughs> this is, this is the one I like to point to and, you know, call me ignorant, whatever. Sure. I got through maybe the first, 20 pages. And I was like, I'm going to have to get cliff notes on this because I'm not going to make it like, I'm not going to make it through this. Yeah. Yeah. And you <laughs> know, not that, gonna happen. yeah. And now that you mention it, you know, I, I just have to come out and say it. I, I was a horrible student, uh, for one, you know, <laughs> there, there was a language barrier initially. I, I learned English when I was 10 years old. So it, it was sort of like a, a, a difficult transition. And then on top of it, when you're interested in literature, you're interested in things of that nature. And to not see protagonists or maybe characters that, that are kind of like you, it kind of, it's, it's hard to engage, you know, it's hard to kind of be a, be a part of that. Um, and I, I wonder, is there, are there any recommendations maybe, or of texts that, that kids, you know, in particular, like, like, uh, women authors or, or people of color that have stuck with you, um, you know, from okay. that time period? So, you're, go- you're going to the list. <laughs> no, I have a little stack of books and I wish I had more, but I don't. Um, so everybody needs to read Citizen okay. by uh, Claudia Rankine. And um, th- now this came later, right? Sure. So sure. at the time that I was in high school, it was a lot of like Sandra Cisneros. Sure. Um, it was a big one. Yeah. Yeah. Native Son. The, you know, so, so I'm, there, there are a lot of newer, uh, 
writers out there that I think we uh, can and should promote and embrace. But I mean, she not only is this book amazing, but like um, she's amazing. And I, I met her and oh, I met great. her weirdest of ways because i i'm again getting back to this whole student concept mm -hmm. so i'm that weirdo that like went to awp the year whatever year it was i it was the year that it was in la the last time it was in la sometime in i think like 2016 or something like that mm. and um i'm the weirdo that goes right to the front in the big auditorium because i was oh, like oh, <laughs> he was next to me Oh, and wow. So I met her because I had the whatever you want to call it sure. um, to, you know, and I think women have balls. Women do technically have balls. They're just interior. So I sure. used my interior balls and I went and sat in the front <laughs> and I got to actually have a conversation with Claudia. Had, so, you, had you read the book prior or is that? No, like, no. Oh, so okay. she actually was, was uh, reading slash performing at awp and, oh. and so that's why she was in the front row because she was actually gonna go <laughs> 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 like, oh my god yeah, yeah she's she like uh so so are you going oh, next god. yeah <laughs> oh yeah no i i don't go <laughs> um, i just sit there and like yeah that's oh. uh this is a this is a moment that i'm having in my life oh that's great um, but yeah, so then I you know I bought the book after and and uh you know she signed it for me. Um and and you know so so there you have it. So go mm. sit in the front if you go to these big writing conferences. That's that's a good bit of advice. But um so circling back, I think that there are a lot of a lot of uh writers that are up and coming. Um in fact, uh, another one that I could mention uh because I I grew familiar with his work because he actually was um, somebody that I didn't realize at the time, but you know, you submit to a contest. So here's the the 2015 right. Two of Cups, uh, you know, chapbook winner. But I I actually um, so it was me and three finalists, and one of the other finalists was Chen Chen. Mm. So I don't know if you know Chen Chen or I've, worked, I've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so he, I mean, he, he's like huge now. Yeah. Um, and I think his work, uh, a lot of people really, it resonates with people. And these mm -hmm. are the kinds of voices that we, you know, Jericho Brown would be another. Right. Um, so, you know, we're talking about, um, we're talking about poets. I, I mean, I, I'm more familiar with poets. So mm -hmm. there are obviously nonfiction and fiction writers, yeah. um, you know, from all experiences of life, you know, uh, Paul Guest, so he's a white guy, but um, he's coming from a, a, a disabled or differently abled perspective. Sure. So his work is colored with that. So there are, um, you know, they don't all have to be straight white dudes, sure. you know? Sure. Um, and I think now more than ever, uh, you know, we're seeing, especially with independent presses, we're seeing and hearing other voices that mm. we just have not heard either that much of or at all. Right. Uh, so yeah, and in fact, the the press that's publishing me, uh, Vegetarian Alcoholic Press next year, so that full length collection mm -hmm. um, is, uh, you know, they're, he, Freddie is amazing mm -hmm. at uh, taking voices that are just um, really wonderful and unique and different and, strange i mm. mean if, if anything if i can say anything about 
uh, vegetarian alcoholic writers that I've read thus far, they're strange and, and in that. a really yeah. interesting way. Um, and these are people with, you know, these, these are, you know, uh, trans people, these are gay people, these straight people. Sure. I mean, but, but these are just different voices that, mm -hmm. you know, um, I, I'm starting to understand Freddie's aesthetic as an editor and what the sort sort of, um, I guess, link, mm. but, but these works are so different from each other. I mean, and I, and in some respects, when I started reading other authors by the press, I was like, wow, I, I'm kind of freaked out that he even picked my work. Like I was <laughs> seeing a connection, but the more that I read, the more I'm like, okay, yeah. So my, my work is strange. Mm, in a different mm. way that these other authors are authors works are strange but um but i see that that sort of strange through the through, through line. line yeah well that's that's fascinating um, it, it seems like you you are um finding a home there in that particular press and i just have to say i i love the name of your chapbook collection um i it kind of caught me off guard and i i'm going to try to seek out a copy of that um and of course your new one Copies. <laughs> you can have a copy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that that'd be pretty cool. Um, yeah. but um, the new one, which which has the the Gorgon, um, I guess theme. How does that one come about? Because I I read one that was published recently. What mm -hmm. one of yours? The Medusa one. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say. I'll let, I'll let you take it away. Uh, tell me about tell me about your latest poetry uh, collection. How that came to be. I guess that's where I'm getting at. Sure. So when I when I went to grad school, um, I so I've always kind of been fascinated by Medusa, and I think that's true of a lot of people, right? So she's, mm -hmm. she's just one of these mythological characters that sort of sticks with you, and I think yeah. it's just because of the, the oddity of the snakes, mm -hmm. the snaky hair thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like okay, so like you think of like a centaur, right? It's like half man, half horse. It's like, well, what would he do? I mean, we've seen lots. Of, <laughs> no, I mean, but you know what I'm saying. Like yeah, we've seen yeah. lots, of, lots of like half half human half other animal right sure. it's just it's not that i guess fascinating for whatever reason maybe it's just because there's so many of them mm. um but the fact that it's a woman and that the, the, like these weird things come out of her head mm -hmm. um i think is part of that initial fascination so I, I'm in grad school and I'm writing a lot of you know what I would call like truthful uh, poems. So again, not necessarily things that happen to me in real life, but capturing an element of emotional experience that feels very true to me and, and is drawn from my real life mm. by and large, um, or the lives of people I know. Um, and my mom is a breast cancer survivor. And for some reason, I, I thought I had this idea or this concept of of Medusa paired with this experience. And so I started writing this poem and this is not even in the collection. Mm. I, I couldn't even tell you, I mean, I'm sure the draft is somewhere <laughs> in my computer <laughs> archives, but for whatever reason from there, I realized, you know, this is sort of like intriguing to me. Like I started doing a lot of digging into the, 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 the story of Medusa and the myth of Medusa yeah. or I should say myths of Medusa, because, you know, the older a story is, the older a character is, 
a mythological figure, the more variations to that story there are, right? And so right. I'm, I'm reading, the more that I'm reading about these different um, angles or tellings, the more I'm getting intrigued about the the sort of potential for my perspective on this because outside of the snakes, I mean, it's not even really outside of the snakes. It's, it's completely intertwined with the snakes, but the, the whole premise, the whole story of Medusa, the part that's always in every iteration is the sexual violence mm. that transforms her. Every iteration yeah. that I, yeah. at least that I came, that I came upon, right. Mm -hmm is a sexual violence, right? And so um, I started sort of thinking about, okay, how can I sort of retell this story or reimagine this story from a feminist perspective in contemporary times mm -hmm. and, and, and bring something new to it? Mm -hmm. Because this is, a, this is a topic and subject that is close to me and is close to a lot of women I know. Mm -hmm. And I mean, not just women too. I mean, I, I know male survivors or non-binary survivors as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a subject that's close to me. And so then, so, so then I'm now I'm off in this whole other direction. Mm -hmm. Meantime, I'm still writing all of these other poems. And I'll never forget. So, so my mentor and um, advisor, uh, Larissa Sporlock, who is a, a, an amazing poet, but also an amazing teacher, which is a combination that you honestly don't get very often. <laughs> yeah. You really don't, because most of these most of these writers that are in academia are just there to have the summers off for their own writing mm -hmm. and to do their writing and to have the exposure in that academic world. Right? right? They're there to make a name for themselves, and they could honestly care less about their students. Um, which is unfortunate, but that's again, part of the dysfunction of the system. Mm -hmm. So they're just working the system for better. Right. And, um, but anyway, uh, she's, she's the opposite of that. She's the antithesis of that. And so mm -hmm. she was an amazing, um, advisor and, and I consider her a friend. Um, so we're in our last workshop, which was in an informal setting. It actually happened to be in, uh, my old apartment in Bowling Green and I made everybody pasta. And so we had pasta and we did this workshop and at the very end of this workshop, the final workshop before we're going to graduate in like a week, Larissa is like, you know, I think that what, you know, what you should do is bring these poems that you have, like these outside Medusa poems, because so Medusa became my thesis, mm. but I had all oh, these okay. other poems that, that weren't part of the thesis because Medusa was my thesis. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, so, you know, you, you bring these poems together with the Medusa thesis, like together with the Medusa stuff and, and, and sort of make it like one story. Mm. They're thinking like, you're only telling, like, you're telling me this now, but it was like, <laughs> it was like I'm not mad about it. Like, I, I, cause I can honestly, I, I really, I couldn't be mad at her anyway. Because, like, I wouldn't use that information word. sooner. Yeah. But it was like, <laughs> I mean, your timing is interesting. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, and maybe it only occurred to her that I doubt it because mm. she's brilliant. Maybe she didn't, maybe I just wasn't ready to hear it until mm. then, you know, she's also very intuitive. So, <laughs> I mean, anyway, I heard it. I'm glad I heard it at all. Um, <laughs> I'm glad that that, it, but it completely changed 
my approach to what what is now head of a gorgon that will be published next year mm. and so i'm like yeah you know what what's the part of the story that i've been telling over here separate but that goes with this so and for me it's it's the upbringing it's the early childhood it's the so so when we hear of medusa medusa is is a woman she's not a child right mm-hmm. so um the sexual violence happens in in a more adult age even if you want to consider you know a, a telling that maybe thinks of her as a teenager mm-hmm. potentially but she's always more or less adult um i do away with that <laughs> mm. and we start at the beginning we start at the childhood and we go from there and that's so, a that's yeah that's a beautiful way to humanize this uh this particular um story because we you know at least my impression of it you know seeing medusa and so many you know retellings of of greek uh narratives and stuff like that she's she's always just this this tortured you know beast an alien to whatever the society is you know uh fighting against and you know it's it's a beautiful thing that you're in this in this book don't get me wrong torture starts earlier right right but but there there is you you're giving it so much life and so much humanity that is sometimes missing in a lot of these other perceptions so i think that's a beautiful way to you know to kind of reinvent and make it your own and and just uh bring it to life in in your own way um but you you mentioned something really interesting about it's almost like we we need to find a way to um, promote and create environments where poetry can thrive in communities. Uh, and I, I ask because this, this is starting to become a personal uh, pursuit of mine to find ways to support creatives who are not in academia, who are not in these circles of, um, um, I guess, I, it's, it's really hard to explain, but I just want to be able yeah. to say in, in a small yeah. community that doesn't have the support that you might be able to find in other cities, what is it that people could do um, to to foster their own circles outside of of academic spaces? Sure. So I think that you know, again, we we kind of started off talking a little bit about technology, uh, and I think technology is open so many. I mean, sometimes like to the detriment of humanity. I mean, so social media, it's like when I first hear social media, I'm like, oh, it's like the downfall of civilization, right? It's just a matter of time. And I do still believe that. But I also believe that it opens up doors for people, you know, like like you had said, like you and me, Mm. to connect. I mean, how else would our paths have ever crossed? Yeah, yeah. It just wouldn't have happened. And now this is global, right? So you can connect with people around the world well maybe not in places like china where you know it's on lockdown and sure. you know can't break through but um you know by and large you can connect with people globally not that you would necessarily need to because you can find people nationally or or in your town city community mm-hmm. whatever um but i do think that social media uh is a tool that can be used for good and that would be one really good way to do that um, the, part of it too, is that, um, you know, people don't know, like you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And so if you, if you didn't, okay, it, it's like, if you didn't go to college 
then you didn't maybe hear about Poets and Writers, the magazine. And then maybe you didn't hear that they started this new thing called groups where you can register for free. Mm. Yes, write it down. Yeah, share yeah. it properly. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and you can form the group and people can join or, or, or do little requests to join and you can make the decision or you could be the joiner. You can ask to join the different group mm-hmm. and the groups are all different. Some are workshop groups. Some are like, let's get together and edit each other. Let's get together and do readings. Let's get together and do this or that or what have you, right? Mm. But, but how do you find that information? How do you know that if yeah. you didn't go to college? And so that's where being a student of life Mm-hmm. And being that lifelong, you know, having that curiosity. And it starts with a question. So I would encourage right. anybody who is who is interested in having a community um, in any art form or really any kind of any form, right? I mean, if you if you need to have like a, a babysitting community and you want to build that, okay, so what's what's your pain point? What what is the the challenge that you're trying to overcome or the problem you're trying to solve, write it in the form of a question. So like, how do I uh, figure out, like, how do I connect with 10 poets in XYZ town? Okay. You start Mm -hmm. with that question. Somebody's already answered that question for you. I guarantee it. Now it's your job to go and use the Google machine and find <laughs> out who's, who's answered that question. Right. It could be the library, the local library. It could be social media. There's a group already online. But if, if you start Googling things, some of those answers are going to reveal themselves to you. So like, okay, so when you, when you form that question, how do I find a group of 10 poets in my community of XYZ? Let's say Tucson, Arizona. Poetry group, Tucson, Arizona is your Google search. Mm. That is your starting point. There you go. Like, and, and, and from there, then you go. You, you go through those, you know, you, you use the critical thinking cap and you go through your search results and you start building from there. You start connecting from there. You start reaching out to people. And this is another thing about creatives too. I find a lot of them are very shy and very, you know, and, and introverted. And believe me, I totally get it. Like if I, in some respects, like this is, this is like professional Reagan that you're dealing with. Sure. This is not introverted poetry, Reagan. I mean, <laughs> we're talking about poetry, right. but this is the person that I needed to be in the professional world. Right. This person did not exist pre like 2010. And I mean, you know, you, it's, it's uncomfortable when you start but I encourage everybody to start and think of it honestly, separately as a different persona, because it's easier when you do, it's easier when you're performing it, when you're a character, it, because you can feel, you can still feel safe. You can still have your interiority. You can still have, you can still say, Hey, I am an introvert. You can still do all those things. Right. Right. And that's, Develop your outer persona, use that person, uh, compartmentalize that person, whatever you need to do to develop that aspect of yourself. But please, please develop that aspect of yourself, every artist out there, because you're going to need it um, to get to, to make connections and to enrich your life as an artist. Um, 
it's all selfish. Like, like it's all for selfish purposes and that's fine. Um, I, 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 for me, it's not for me. And okay. <laughs> no, but I, no, I, I love what you're saying. I like absolutely a hundred percent love what you're saying because one of the reasons that I started this podcast was for that very purpose to get to learn more about what is current in the world, what these amazing people and creatives like you are doing all over the place. And I consider myself an, an extrovert according to what is it? The, the Myers Briggs, you know, I don't know if, you, if sure. you're into that stuff. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm like a, a 60% introvert, 40% extrovert. So I'm like right in the middle, but I think <laughs> those theater classes, they did work. And, and so like they yeah. made me from probably like a 20% to a, a 40% extrovert. So I highly recommend it. And I think that's a, an amazing way to pursue this. We have to be our own champions in some yeah. regards. Yeah. In, in every regard. I mean, no system will teach you better than healthcare in this country. Oh, man. You have got to be your own advocate. And that's a whole other thing that I could spew on for yeah, like, yeah. Decade, but I won't. Um, <laughs> but it's that kind of thing. Like, you know, very, very few people in any of the arts have the kind of luck where somebody just the right person finds you and suddenly you're uh right. you know really poor. I, I mean it just doesn't happen that way mm -hmm. for 99.9 percent .9 of us and and i think that's okay and i honestly think it's for the best because mm -hmm. when you have to develop these types of skills and you have to put yourself out there and you have to take risks. Um, this is all important to your own personal growth and your own spiritual growth. And you're just like your humanity. Mm -hmm. And I think that like not, not enough people kind of real, it's kind of weird because you're an artist, but yet you don't realize that like part of your humanity actually involves connecting with other humans. Yeah, yeah. like it's well, weird. Yeah, this is this is a curious thing that you bring up because I my background is in uh, the performing arts. I studied theater, playwriting, and, and directing a lot of these things. And my biggest issue with with academia, and it's going to kind of tie into what you've been mentioning too, is is the fact that it's it's this group of isolationists who mm -hmm. don't teach you how to have practice. Right, right. It's there's no practical application of what you what you have learned and how it can be implemented in in the quote unquote real world. And I wish maybe you could help me with that because in marketing, I'm sure there's a different way to say real world. Yeah, <laughs> you know, no, um, <laughs> audience personas, sure, whatever. Sure, but trying to reach. Yes, you're absolutely correct. It is protectionist. Mm -hmm. These people. I mean, look, not all of them are bad. I had wonderful, wonderful creative writing. Of course. Of course. And I don't want to paint this picture of like all, all these people are terrible human beings and we should just go like throw them off the edge of the cliff. <laughs> it's not that. It's it's just that they're the system functions to isolate, to maintain elitism, to be protectionist, because there are only so many creative writing jobs in academia. Mm -hmm. The chance that you're going to get one is slim, right. especially when you look at how many people are entering or wanting to enter programs. I thought that I wanted to teach until I actually went into my MFA and taught. And then I realized, oh my God, it's like for you. this isn't even about teaching to your point. This isn't about helping students improve. It's about churning them out and making money. It's a business. Please understand academia is just like any other business. It's mm -hmm. a business company. It's a business. 
the sooner you understand that and accept that as reality, <laughs> real world reality, <laughs> yeah. the sooner you can start finding, okay, who are these resources? Where are these resources? Who are these people who have walked this path and who know what to do, the practical applications? And I am one of them. I had a student, I'm, I'm working at UNLV. I am in a professional role. I'm not, I'm not an academic. I am not a professor. I am in an, what they call administrative role. Mm -hmm. She saw that I had a chapbook come out. She approached me and said, I, you know, I'm having trouble with these professors. Mm -hmm. they're, they're basically telling me not to submit my work. Yes, of oh. course they are. Because you can't, oh, because you're not good until they've shaped you because you're no good and you're not worthy and you couldn't possibly publish until you you've been graced with their wisdom they're mm -hmm. just holding you back look there are people in in academia who are going to do that mm -hmm. who are intimidated by you they're little people they're small-minded they're protectionist and those are the people we we would like to throw off the cliff um, <laughs> and she unfortunately was dealing with a couple of them and so she's like you know um can you teach me like how to submit i'm like you betcha I can. Uh, and, and I'm that's, gonna, what a phenomenal and I'm gonna do thing. it better than anybody's gonna teach you how to do it. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's exactly what happened. Right. And and it, it really oh, com ahead. it comes sorry, I, I keep cutting you off. It comes back no, to this worry. uh this notion of of how to be a creative mentor outside of academia, which I think maybe there's there's something there that we can we can begin. And I'm I'm just curious, how does somebody balance the creative life and the professional life to start becoming um, a mentor, you know, in that situation. Because one one of the reservations that I have here is like, I feel like I need street cred to do something like that. Or I'm sure that many people feel that way. It's like, oh, I need to, you know, uh, have acquired certain publications to, you know, uh, consider myself a person of authority to begin this. I mean, is that a mental thing or do we just need to get out there and do it? Um. I would, I would lean towards mostly it's a mental thing and we just need to get out there and do it. And the reason that I say that is and I read this quote and I, I can't remember, I posted about it on, on Twitter, but, and I can't remember who did it. Oh, actually, yes, I can. Um, so one of the things that I'm learning about is uh, real estate. So mm. <laughs> totally separate. Um, uh, bigger Pockets, Brandon Turner um, and David, and I Gosh, I can't remember his last name. But anyway, um, there's a quote that they like from some other person, but that's where I heard it. And the quote is, you're an expert to somebody. Mm. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, yeah. But you can always be at any stage in the game, whatever game it is, you're going to be an expert to somebody. And honestly, nothing. I was just talking about this with my fiance earlier today. Nothing has illustrated that point to me more than social media, where I'm easily yeah. twice the age of some of these people, if not more. I'm old enough to be their mother. And I'm, I see through their, their tweets the struggles and the mistakes that they're making. And look, there's nothing wrong with making mistakes. Like I've made mistakes. I will continue to make mistakes. There's nothing wrong with that. But as I'm viewing, as I'm viewing the, the tweet stream, I'm thinking, oh my gosh. I could have like saved this person from this situation that they're in if only I had known, if only we were connected, if only this, that, and the other, or more to the point, if only they had realized that 
this was maybe a, a problem that somebody has been through, has dealt with, and has already solved and, mm. and reached out. And, and to that point, I also see on Twitter a lot of people asking really great questions. Right. And in fact, when I can, when I see them in my feed, I often answer them. So like somebody was asking, oh, you know, I have these poems out. Um, with different publications that I haven't heard back on, but now they're going to be part of this chapbook that's getting published in X month. What do I do? Do I just withdraw everything? No, mm -hmm. you do not. Here's yeah. what you do. <laughs> and I responded to that, you know, to that person, look, ask them if, if the, they're, if they publish previously published material, you can give them a credit in your chapbook and have that chapbook come out, that poem come out, and they, now it's promotion for your chapbook through this publication, and they're happy to have your work, and they love your work, and it's like, why would you pull it? But if you didn't ask the question, if you didn't have the dilemma, and you just thought, oh, you know, I'm brilliant at 20, and I'm going <laughs> to, look, at 20, I thought I was brilliant too, okay? So, like, I'm not talking down to anybody when I say this. I'm just saying, now that I'm not 20 anymore, let me help you remove your head from your sphincter <laughs> and realize you would be better off asking questions yeah. when you find yourself in a dilemma and let other people who have already suffered solve the problem, deliver the answer, and avoid the, the trauma of having <laughs> when somebody else has already been there, done that, right. got the t-shirt. That's all I'm saying. Again, I'm not talking down to people. No, it's amazing. I, it's amazing. I've been there. I, I've done it. I got the t-shirt. Yeah. Learn, learn from those people because I, that's what I want to do too. I want to learn from people that, that have already dealt with the the crap that I face. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to make other people's mistakes. Right. I don't want to have to make the same mistakes two bazillion other people have already made when I don't have to. Sure. It, it's not efficient. It wastes time. The answers are out there. But you have to be willing, you, first of all, you have to put your ego aside and say, mm -hmm. you know what? I don't know everything. I'm willing to ask the question. A lot of young people are not willing to do that. And oh, again, sure. from experience, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. wiser now, okay? a lot more humbled um, by my own failures and mistakes and, you know, ego, past ego. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's not knowing that there is a question to be asked, but more often it's your ego. More often it's, I'm too brilliant or I'm too, too whatever, you know, people are going to think I'm a fraud if I ask a question. No, they're not. And you sure. know what if they do? They're bad people. You don't want these people in your life. No, truly. I'm serious. They're bad people. Get them out of your life. They're toxic. They, that truth will be revealed in time. <laughs> You'll right. see. You'll see on this. I've had enough toxic people in my life to know with 100% accuracy that happens every single time. Somebody who judges you for asking a question is a toxic person. Mm -hmm. Period. End of story. Okay. <laughs> so to, to, no, no, I love this because it, it reminds me of something that, uh, um, one of my collaborators, one of my dear friends, uh, and I were talking about just a, a few days ago that, um, just to be, be a little bit more, more granular about the process, it, it strikes me that to, to be involved or completely immersed in the creative process is like equal parts, humility and courage at the same time. How do we how do we manage that, that, that turning as we're doing creative stuff to, to balance our ego as we're creating? 
Is that something that you've, you've experienced or something that you, you feel that you've gotten better at doing as you're, as you're writing? So, it's, so it's weird because I, I do talk about my, my, my larger ego in my younger years, but the truth of it is all ego is, is your, is your flailing insecurity. So to say that I, so it's like, so all I ever need to do to humble myself is like, okay, I'm just, cause I need you to understand like with visual. <laughs> I love visuals. Okay. They're great. We'll just describe this it is, for the listener. This is my favorite poet of all time, Louise Gluck. Oh, great. Poems, I want, I want you to see poems 1962 to 2012. So she has even more than this, but I need you to understand Okay, I need a, you to look and, at and all yeah, these to des- describe it for the uh, yeah to describe it for the listener. It is it is that, for the listener the tome of Louise Gluck's collective poems from sixty two to twenty twelve, right? <laughs> and there's more. This is and there's end. more. Yeah, and there's more. So this is um. I want to go to the last page. This is a without the um, index of titles, okay, this is 627 pages. It is not hard to be humbled as a creative ever, ever. Um, I think the real challenge is to realize that even though there will always be a Louise book, there's always going to be somebody who is writing their first poem about their grandmother. And at that point, at that starting point, and there's always going to be a need, even if it's only your own for your stories to be in the world. Um, and, and it's, it's not so like, for example, I don't experience writer's block and I never have. And, and people, hate me when they hear me say that I believe that I get a lot of those those like ego-based reactions like you know like (laughs) oh she's one of those but let me explain what I mean by that and and somebody actually did a better explanation when they said no it's not writer's block it's just block and what it is is and, and I don't experience that either because I I guess like for a lot like for most if not all of my life I've just had sort of an intuitive kind of sense that okay like when you get stuck in like i've always known when i'm stuck in my head so if i'm stuck in my head um i've actually found a way for me to get out of it is to write mm. now for some people it doesn't work that way they get stuck in their head and it prevents them from writing for me i'm the exact opposite mm-hmm. so i i can't speak from the experience of those people that experience writer's block slash just block yeah slash when I'm too in my head, I can't write. I write to get, get myself out of my head. I do other things as well to get myself out of my head, but that's just me. So I, I can't speak to that other side really well because that's, that's not my life experience. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think you, the, the, the goal is to not let the, the tomb overwhelm you. Right. And to not let somebody else's, accomplishments because there are so many extremely accomplished artists out there there will always be more accomplished artists like than than you probably will end up being and that's okay like you have to kind of 
this is where ego, the good side of ego comes in, right? The good side of ego is I don't give a bleep about any <laughs> of that because I have something to say. I have a story to tell and I'm going to tell it. Oh, I love it. And you have to, like, you have to be able to get to that point. So, and maybe that's not even ego. Um, and, and maybe I should differentiate because I do think that ego is a bad thing. Like mm-hmm. I do think it's that insecurity, it, 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 it's harmful to you. It's harmful. It's not to coming others. from a good place, right? It's, it's not it's- coming from a good place. Whereas that the, this, this good aspect, and I want to find another label and I hope I find another label before we wrap up today. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, it's truth-based, but, right? But it's because it's based in the, it's, 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 um, let's call it an aspect of dignity because yeah. I think it, that's what it is. It's an aspect of dignity. It's an aspect of you are an individual in this world. You exist on purpose for a reason, whether you believe in a higher power or the universe or whatever your belief is, um, one deity, multiple deities, no deities, you know, strictly, you know, uh, human innovation, whatever you want to believe in. It doesn't matter, but you exist, you exist on purpose, you exist for a reason, and you have a duty to yourself and to others to fulfill that reason. And don't let that be another excuse to bog yourself down and get stuck in your head over it, but be on purpose, do things with purpose. If you feel inspired to be an artist, then deliver that art. And, and know that, know inside yourself, deep inside yourself and your soul, your spirit, your inner, whatever you want to call it, if you don't have those beliefs, that you're, that you're here to tell that story, to deliver these messages, mm-hmm. um, and that it's needed. Again, even if only for you, even if you just need to do this to heal yourself, to move past something in your life whatever reason for the joy of it. Um, (laughs) I wish I knew what that was like because that is (laughs) not my lived experience as an artist. Um, But, but you need to, you need to have that aspect of yourself and of your own dignity of your own true love for yourself and acknowledgement of yourself as a valuable entity in the world where you say, you know what? I don't, yeah, I mean, there will always be all these people who are so much more accomplished than me, but I'm here for a reason. And maybe the reason is to tell this story. I mean, I'd like to think we're all here for multiple reasons and not just one, but one of those reasons is to tell this story or to fill, fulfill this art destiny. And so I'm going to do that and then just go do it. I absolutely love that. <laughs> I think that's, that's phenomenal. I want to be respectful of your time and ask you one more question. Because yeah, yeah. you you are a fountain of insight and and creativity, and I'm just so grateful that I get to talk to you about this Thank stuff. Um, no, no, it's it's been really informative for me, and and I I just I love it. But in terms of what what we need to do to make community matter to some folks who don't know about it, why is it that we need poetry now more than ever, and what has it done for you personally? to better your quality of life. So this is interesting because I'm probably going to 
sound like the, I hope you don't regret asking me this question because here I've given you all these insights. And no now regrets. I'm going to be the one that tells you, well, maybe let me ask you this question as, as a response. Sure. Are we sure that poetry matters? And I'm, don't answer that. I'm not, I don't, I don't, I also don't want to answer that. <laughs> Part of me says, well, listen, here, here's what it is. Um, I think that, the, okay, I do think that the arts matter. And if the pandemic taught us nothing else, <laughs> it's that, because what else, what were you going to do? How many closets can you clean out? How many, um, you know, sourdough loaves can you bake? <laughs> no, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You realize that you needed some form of art to help you cope and get you through being locked up in your abode for however long. I mean, we're still by and large locked up. I'm good with it. Like I'm cool. <laughs> it's our default around. setting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm cool with that. Like until people figure out uh, stuff and I'm, I won't go there because that's a whole other political aspect <laughs> that I don't want to bring into this. Um, but another thing I could talk for a very long time on, um, but I won't, uh, you know, if you didn't realize then how critical whatever art form you were consuming uh, during that time, and it was most likely multiple art forms, right, to get mm -hmm. you through, um, then I don't know what to tell you. Like, they're, they're, I have nothing to say. Like, I have no answer for that kind of person who's like, the arts don't matter. Oh, really? What What were you doing up at 3 a.m. during the Pandian every night? You know, oh, you were binge watching, you know, uh, the the tiger king or whatever the heck that was yeah. i didn't watch that one but i i did other things i watched other things i read other things like if you still want to argue with me that the arts don't matter i don't know what to tell a person like that poetry specifically um i i have no comment on it really because mm. it's just one of those many art forms i don't think it's more or less valuable than mm. any other art form I think people pay more for certain art forms and that's, that's all it is. People pay for certain art forms more than they do for others, but is one inherently better than the other? Does one matter more than the other? I don't think so. I, that's not my belief. Hmm. Um, so I, I don't know if that, that kind of answers your no, question. No, this is great because, because I think that, the reason it is so, sort of an open-ended question is because there's, there's just so many different perspectives and ways to look at this that um, I think selfishly I ask because I'm looking for an answer as to how I can help things in my community, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of how can we sell curiosity, pitch curiosity to the non-curious, you know, uh, it, it's just a, um, an interesting thing to pursue. But uh, overall, I, I think that you're spot on. I mean, poetry matters just as much as the other ones. And at its core, if people aren't going to be sold on it after having hundreds upon hundreds of years of, of great examples of what, how beautiful and how ecstatic poetry can be, then, you know, some folks are just at a loss. That could be. Yeah. 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 And, and that's okay. Like, for me, poetry has been... Um, has been a really 
um, wonderful journey uh, and has, uh, has helped me with my own healing processes. And I didn't, it's funny because when I started working on the Medusa stuff, I didn't even realize that that's what was happening. It was many years later. And once that work was mostly done, at least in draft form that I realized, oh, I was like actually trying to work through this mm. back then, not even realizing on a completely subconscious level that I was working through this mm -hmm. um, or trying to grapple with it in this form. But then I was also doing the work in the real, like in the real world, right? With, with like, okay, I'm, I'm actually facing X, Y, Z issues head on. Um, but as you know, it's interesting because you mentioned like non-curious. I don't know that I believe that there are non-curious people, Excellent. but what I will say is that, um, like real estate, I, I mentioned that, that quote, yeah. I had very little curiosity about it. Hmm. And then the pandemic happened and there are some personal circumstances um, in my life that, that I'm not going to detail here, <laughs> uh, but uh, that, that kind of made me realize that maybe I had to ask some new questions mm. and take some new directions. And when I had that realization and I asked those questions, then suddenly I became very curious about real estate. Then suddenly I became very focused, very driven. Mm -hmm. And it's like zoom. The tunnel vision, yeah. I am now listening to the podcasts every day. I am now reading multiple books. I've got multiple books under my belt. I, I am now directing this energy that literally maybe two months ago, no curiosity, no mm. interest whatsoever, no energy expended towards that. It can happen that same way for poetry. And in fact, um, I won't say I didn't like poetry. But it, it didn't happen the same way as it did for real estate for me with poetry because I, I was exposed to poetry at a young age. I did, you know, I, but Louise Gluck's poem, Mock Orange, was one that inspired me to, to go in that direction because she was saying things in that poem that I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe she's saying that. But, oh, my God, she's saying it. And, oh, my God, I want to be that person that says those things. Yeah. And it's happening in a poem. And so maybe I should do poems. And, and then, that, then I did poems. Um, and that's kind of how that happened, right? So yeah. I was in fiction. I want to tell the truth. And then I read this poem. And, oh, my God. That, so now I'm poeming. Um, so it happened a little different, but once that, once that door sort of, sort of opened and I realized that this, this held a, a, a possibility for me because like, look, at the end of the day, we're all selfish people, some more than others. I like to give back. Selfish can be a good and a bad word. I think there's self-care selfish, which is excellent. Mm -hmm. And then there's self selfish, like narcissistic selfish, and that's yeah. bad. Um, but we all want things for ourselves. When you have a door that, that opens to something, like in the case of that poem, Mock Orange, where the door sort of opened for me and I realized, oh my gosh, this, is, this could be the path for me. Similarly with real estate. Oh, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. like gaining knowledge about this could be the path 
could be a path for me. Yeah. When you realize and you make that connection between you and that thing that like you knew it existed in the world, but you didn't really know, like, I think it's more, it's not that people are curious. It's just that they don't get how it can apply to them. They don't see the relevance. Yeah. And when people can make that clear connection, when there's, there's that clear line between like, for me, it was like, I want to tell the truth. I can't do it in fiction. I don't feel that I can do it in fiction. Mm. And then I read this poem and I'm like, oh my God, that's the answer. I can do it in poetry and zoom. I'm in poetry. If we can have people make those connections for themselves, but see the connection is going to be different. Mm -hmm. For me, it was, I need to be able to tell the truth. That's not going to be every poet's inspiration or every poet's kind of uh, reason for being. It's just not, Mm -hmm. it's just not like that's, that was my individual answer. And so how do you find a person's individual answer? I don't know that you or I do. I think the individual finds it. But that being said, you've got to have the exposure, right? You've got to expose people so that maybe they do have the epiphany like I did with that poem. Because if you have no exposure, then then you you don't find the answer, I don't think. Right, right. Well, you've uh, you've left me with a lot of questions that I'm I'm going to be thinking about for a little bit. I, I thought that was phenomenal. And uh, again, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this, uh, this new experiment of mine. Uh, but is there anything else that you want to add about your... Uh, your latest poetry or where we can uh, find your work? Um, You can always go to my website, which is, so my name is spelled kind of funky. Thanks mom. Um, (laughs) ReaganMP.wordpress.com. So that's R A E G E N M as in Mary P as in Peter dot wordpress.com. So you can find out all you want about me that I'm willing to share with people <laughs> on the internet, on the internet. Yeah. Um, you know, and of course, social media, uh, you can find out more there as well. Um, and uh, my, my full length collection head of a Gorgon is coming out with vegetarian alcoholic press in May of 2022. There will be pre-orders. And once I have links and stuff that'll go on my website, that'll go on social media as well. Um, you know, and, and there's a contact me, a uh, little box on my website. So anybody who wants to, to reach out is certainly welcome to. Um, and uh, I think that's it. But, you know, honestly, this is this has been so wonderful for me too. Awesome. Um, I, I realize I've done a lot of the talking, but it's always the questions, right? And so <laughs> thank you for giving me, you know, your time and your wonderful questions that, you know, because I really do, it, it opens doors and it gets me thinking about things that in some cases I haven't thought about for years. Sure. And, you know, going back there and having those, those light bulbs go off again, I think is always, uh, it, it's always very fruitful and things, happy things come from those moments. Absolutely. So, well, um, uh, you have any other questions for me, you know? Oh, you know that there's, there's going to be a whole bunch more, but, uh, I hope that we get to talk in the near future, you know, sometime, uh, yeah you know, pick up where we left off. Uh, But again, thanks for being awesome and uh, happy writing to you. Yeah, same, same. Thank you for doing what you're doing. 